You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die because you only sent 400 ventilators. Yep. One of those days. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR. In New Orleans, on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, even amidst... A quarantine. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope you are all doing well out there and surviving whatever version of a stay-at-home order you may be under right now as you listen to uh, today's program. India will begin the world's largest lockdown on Wednesday. Prime Minister Narendra Modi announced in a TV address on Tuesday warning citizens to stay inside or risk inviting the pandemic into their homes and pledging $2 billion to bolster the country's beleaguered health care system. He said to save India and every Indian, there will be a total ban on venturing out. Uh, according to a, a statement on Tuesday night, acknowledging that the 21-day lockdown, 21-day lockdown would be a major blow to the economy, but insisting that the alternative could set the country back 21 years. The move puts nearly one-fifth of the world's population now under lockdown. The announcement set off panic in many neighborhoods in India as people rushed to markets to stock up on supplies. At many places, police tried to disperse crowds outside stores. India, uh, Indian health officials have reported 469 active cases of COVID-19, and the disease uh, caused by the—that's the disease caused by the virus. It has caused 10 deaths to date. Officials have repeatedly insisted there is no evidence yet of localized spread, but have conducted relatively scant testing for the disease in a country where tens of millions live in dense urban areas with irregular access to clean water. Experts have said local spread is inevitable. 
Indian virologist Dr. T. Jacob John said before the wholesale lockdown was announced on Tuesday that India was being forced to take extreme containment measures after failing to mitigate the problem earlier on when the caseload was light. There would have been time because the wolf was not yet at the door. Now today the wolf's inside the door and India's supposed to calmly respond with a wolf in the corner, he said. Sahil Kapoor of NBC said uh, India is a coronavirus nightmare. It's home to the uh, three of the world's top 10 most densely populated cities, including number one and number two on the list. For comparison, New York City is not even in the top 50. At least not for density, but it does have some 8 million people in New York City alone and almost 20 million across the entire uh, the entire state. So uh, 100% of India is now being locked down after just 469 known cases and 10 deaths. Contrast that to the state of New York, where as of Tuesday morning, they are reporting 25,665 cases with at least 157 deaths. That number of cases, they note, is now doubling, doubling every three days, according to the governor of the state, which now accounts for nearly 7% of global cases tallied by the New York Times. Some 13% of people who have tested positive were hospitalized as of Tuesday, with nearly a quarter of those hospitalized now in intensive care. Desi Doyen, this is one of the things that... um, Makes this, you know, and and I think we heard Trump once again referencing the flu. We hear people on Fox News saying, oh, this isn't as bad as the flu. Yeah, trying to minimize it as much as possible. But the fact that some, well, 13 percent in uh, in New York, 20 percent elsewhere are hospitalized when they get the coronavirus. Sure, they may survive it. Sure, the flu has so far killed more people. But the fact that uh, you you don't have a 20 percent hospitalization rate when it comes to the flu. Right. That was the whole point of trying to slow the spread and flatten the curve so that we didn't have everybody getting sick all at once and requiring hospitalization because we just don't have that kind of surge capacity anywhere in the United States. Well, that flattening of the curve does not yet anyway seem to be working in uh, in New York. Governor Andrew Cuomo, who last week had adopted a friendly tone toward Donald Trump, as The Times reports, got as close as he has to uh, chastening the uh, a federal government, which has so far sent just 400 ventilators to New York City. FEMA says we're sending 400 ventilators. Really? What am I going to, what am I going to do with 400 ventilators when I need 30,000? You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die because you only sent 400 ventilators. Cuomo charged that uh, people, FEMA in this case, appear to be missing the magnitude of the problem, and the problem is defined by the magnitude, he said. At a Fox News town hall, Trump lashed out in response to Cuomo, who has been holding daily briefings of his own that have gained national attention as fact-based and emotional counters to Trump's own ridiculous daily briefings, where he simply makes things up. That Dr. Anthony Fauci, head of the uh, National uh, Institutes of Health, has to then keep contradicting. 
and where he says, uh, as he did uh, today, that uh, Trump said that he wants all of this to be over by Easter because he is he's worried that the cure keeping millions of Americans at home to to uh, slow the spread of the virus. He's worried that that is worse than the disease itself. I will uh, ask my uh, guest his opinion on that matter in a moment. And if uh, calling it all off by Easter, because, you know, we got an election coming up in a few months. We'd hate to see anything happen to we got a good economy out there. Hate to see anything happen to it. Um, (laughs) It's just never mind all the dead people. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yeah. Never mind the dead people. They're holding up the economy. Damn it. And that economy is the only thing I've got to run on in this election in November, damn it. You people have to die so the rich can get their stock market back. I'm sorry. It's just the way it's got to be. Sorry, old people, who I am one of. Good luck, Mr. Trump. Uh, He said he did not appreciate the criticism that he saw on television from Cuomo, who he apparently views as a rival. He said, quote, I watched him on this show complaining, Trump said. Well, first, it's not a show, Mr. President. It's a daily briefing. Perhaps that's part of the problem here. Trump said he, uh, quote, had 16,000 ventilators he could have had at a great price and he didn't buy them. Now, I don't know what Donald Trump is referring to there, but my guess is he's making that up out of whole cloth. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? These yeah, 16, at that point, he said they should have bought them two years ago when they had the chance. OK, so in other words, go back in time, New York, and fix that. Otherwise, it's your fault. Uh, two years ago, back when Donald Trump uh, destroyed the pandemic response office at the uh, White House National Security Council. Yes. <sighs> Well, even when it comes to the emergency need for ventilators in every state in the country, Trump seems to be completely out to lunch. But uh, nowhere more is it needed right right now than in New York. But Trump uh, is clueless about. Well, he's not clueless clueless about this. He's lying about it. As AP's fact checked explained yesterday, Donald Trump is falsely asserting how quickly automakers, including GM, Ford and Tesla, can manufacture ventilators to help fill an acute U.S. shortage of the medical equipment for corona, uh, coronavirus patients. On Sunday, Trump had tweeted, quote, Ford, General Motors and Tesla are being given the go ahead to make ventilators and other metal products fast. Well, first, they don't need any go-ahead to do anything, Mr. President. They can make whatever they want. Nonetheless, at a briefing over the weekend, Trump said, GM, Ford, so many companies, these companies are making them right now. That is a lie. No automakers are anywhere close to making medical gear like ventilators and uh, remain months away, if not longer, AP reports. Neither GM nor Ford is building ventilators at present, while uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweeted Friday that his company was, quote, working on ventilators, but he didn't specify how long it might take. His tweets also suggested that it could not be done immediately. Unless automakers can move with unprecedented speed, redirecting plants to make completely different products than they currently make, it will take quite a while, possibly too long to help with the medical gear shortages. Ford and GM uh, have both suspended factory production of cars along with automakers. Other automakers with uh, operations in North America. But Ford confirmed that like GM, They are in discussions with the Trump administration about helping, but had not started any production. 
A Ford spokesman said, we're looking at feasibility. It may be possible, but it's not like you go from making Rangers, small pickup trucks, one day to making ventilators the next. We're figuring out what is possible now. That, of course, is a far cry from Trump's, these companies are making them right now. His lie uh, at the White House briefing over the weekend. Meanwhile, back in New York, Governor Cuomo at the uh, Javits Center in Manhattan, which the Army Corps is retrofitting into a 1,000-bed emergency hospital, said that the rate of new coronavirus infections in New York is currently doubling every three days. He says we haven't flattened the curve, and the curve is actually increasing. The peak of infection in New York, he said, could come as soon as two to three weeks. So we're not even there yet. And that peak would be far earlier than previously anticipated. Uh, Cuomo said it would put an even bigger strain on the health care system than officials had feared. The governor said the state now projects that it may need as many as 140,000 hospital beds to house uh, virus patients. That would be up from the 110 that was projected just a few days ago. As of now, only 53,000 are available. Up to 40,000 intensive care beds could be needed. And he warned the rest of the country by saying, look at us today, where we are today. You will be in four weeks or five weeks or six weeks. We are your future. Well, four, five, six weeks away, that seems to be Easter, doesn't it? The time when Donald Trump says uh, we should uh, knock off all this staying at home stuff and just go out and have a good time, get back to business, get the economy working again. Well, the economic disruption uh, coupled with what is likely to be a health care catastrophe is what Congress is supposedly trying to race to catch up with in the latest two trillion dollar stimulus and uh, relief bailout bill that Republicans and Democrats have been fighting over for the past several days. Senate Republicans um, have been unable to put forward an acceptable plan last night. Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats tired of waiting on the Senate put out their own plan to try and jumpstart the process for what is being called Phase 3 of Congress's emergency legislative relief in response to the coronavirus pandemic. As Democrats have been marching in surprising lockstep for, uh, for a change here in opposing the Republican effort, trying to avoid the many mistakes of the huge giveaways to huge corporations during the last economic meltdown back in 2008. To that end, on Tuesday night, Pelosi released a 1,400-page draft bill called the Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act. The description at the top of the bill's one-page summary reads, House Democrats' more than uh, $2.5 trillion bill boldly addresses the impacts of the coronavirus on families, businesses, and communities by rebuilding our health care system to test and treat everyone and tightening the safety net to support families, shore up small businesses, and help governments maintain services. Uh, among the things that it would do, according to the Democrats, it eliminates cost sharing for coronavirus treatments and vaccines for all patients, including the uninsured, and increases subsidies on the individual Affordable Care Act market. It protects access to health insurance for furloughed and newly unemployed workers and provides new incentives for states to expand Medicaid. 
It provides more than $150 billion to support America's hospitals and community health centers and government medical programs, and an additional $80 billion in low-interest loans to hospitals. It requires health care facilities provide necessary protective equipment to frontline health care workers who obscenely do not currently have the protective equipment that they need in a global pandemic. And Donald Trump is going out and lying about it and uh, calling the New York governor names. The Democratic bill would provide $1,500 of immediate cash assistance to every individual, up to $7,500 for a family of five, available to all, including retirees and unemployed individuals. It creates a temporary federal pandemic unemployment compensation fund of $600 a week, for any worker affected by COVID-19 and eligible for unemployment compensation benefits, combined with existing benefits, they say this replaces 100 percent of wages for the average worker. The legislation also expands eligibility to self-employed workers. That would be good. It expands and funds supplemental uh, nutrition assistance programs or SNAP Uh, It streamlines aid for small businesses and provides more than $500 billion in grants and interest-free loans. Um, It stabilizes the finances of states and local governments with $200 billion in stabilization funding for states, $15 billion to local governments through block grants. It pumps nearly $60 billion into schools and universities with $50 billion directly provided to states to help them stabilize their funding for schools. And uh, the legislation also helps current borrowers with their student debt burden. How? Well, that's not uh, clear from the summary. But finally, it also offers um, it ensures that states can carry out this year's election with four billion dollars in grant funding for states through the Election Assistance Commission and national requirement for both. 15 days of early voting and no excuse absentee vote by mail in uh, all 50 states, including mailing a ballot to all registered voters in an emergency. Now, I suspect we will be looping back to that part of the uh, Democrats hoped for emergency relief here on the broadcast, the election related stuff in the coming days. But for now, uh, as uh, Republican uh, Mitch McConnell said this morning that the Senate bill was on the five yard line and Democratic Minority Leader Schumer suggested we are on the two yard line. Speaker Pelosi appeared to confirm uh, that progress, but she told NBC that we did not get the money we wanted for elections, but that uh, that would not hold up this bill. She says that's part of the uh, that that part of the measure can be revisited another day. I certainly hope so as uh, House Dems still wish to ensure 15 days of early voting and vote by mail in all 50 states. So uh, we're all waiting to find out what, if anything, will in fact come out of the Senate and if it's something that House Democrats will be able to approve. And to discuss all of that and more, David Dayan of the American Prospect joins us next on the broadcast, your stay-at-home radio companion. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't even think of touching that Jeremy dial. Hey, this is Brad. The Bradcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. 
Well, the nation is kind of tired of waiting on Congress to uh, pass a big stimulus package as we go to air. Though Wall Street thinks one is coming, the Dow closed up about 2,000 points today, so they're pretty sure this is all going to work out just fine, at least for them. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As we go to air today, according to the New York Times, top Democrats and Trump administration officials say they are optimistic about finalizing an agreement on a roughly $2 trillion economic stabilization plan to respond to the coronavirus pandemic after striking a tentative deal to add oversight requirements for a $500 billion, that's half a trillion dollar, government bailout fund for distressed companies. Stephen Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, told reporters as he arrived on Capitol Hill for a round of meetings on Tuesday morning that, quote, we're looking forward to closing a bipartisan deal today. I'm sure he is. Speaker Nancy Pelosi said there was, quote, real optimism that we could get something done in the next few hours after Democrats won crucial concessions reportedly from the Trump administration. In an interview on CNBC, she said the emerging deal would include strict oversight over the bailout fund, including installing an inspector general to monitor it, as well as what Pelosi described as a congressional panel, quote, appointed by us to provide constraint. The measures are similar to those put in place as part of the Troubled Asset Relief Program, or TARP, you may recall. That was the centerpiece of the Wall Street bailout that was enacted in 2008 to respond to the financial meltdown at the time. Democrats had balked at a version of the stimulus measure drafted by Republicans over the weekend that they were concerned would give the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin too much latitude in deciding which companies could receive the funds and allow him to delay revealing the recipients until a full month, a full six months after the loans were already dispersed. They said it would have created an unprecedented, secretive half a trillion dollar government slush fund controlled by the president and his top advisors. Not that I can think of any reason not to merely trust those guys to do the right thing. That instead of a closely monitored program accountable to taxpayers. Well, Democrats think they might have that closely monitored program, at least now within their sights. As noted, as we go to air, final details of the plan are reportedly being nailed down. But uh, will Democrats hold strong this time to assure protections for individuals? over huge corporations? So far, they seem to be marching in surprising lockstep for Democrats, so much that they are earning real ire from the Fox News world, so they must be doing something right. Joining us to discuss what is being called Phase 3 of the government's Emergency Recovery and Relief Plan, along with a number of really dumb related questions that I have for him, is a man who uh, followed and reported on the last time the global economy crashed and the government was forced to bail out a whole bunch of wealthy corporations while pretty much ignoring average Americans. Our friend David Dayan is an investigative financial journalist 
and the executive editor of The American Prospect. His first book, 2016's Chain of Title, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Great Foreclosure Fraud, was the winner of the Studs and Ida Turkle Prize. But that meltdown, according to some that I have read, could look like a picnic compared to what could be in store for the economy amidst the COVID-19 global pandemic. We will find out what David thinks about that and much more today. David Dan, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, sir. Thanks uh, for having me on. I hope you are surviving all the fun just uh, uh, fine, you and yours, uh, I trust. <laughs> I, I, I sit here with my computer pretty much rain or shine that's what you would be doing anyway <laughs> right okay welcome to my world everybody uh, all right yeah mine too all right so i listen david I, I hate to even waste any airtime on this nonsense that first bubbled up from fox news but the president of the united states at least until he gets distracted by the next idiotic idea or or by reality itself uh, has been somewhat ominously warning for the several days that he believes, as he said at Monday's press briefing, that the cure cannot be worse than the disease in order to suggest that maybe we ought to just forget about the pandemic, get back to work and let, I guess, mostly older people die. People like him, I guess, just die off, make the problem go away and save the economy in the bargain. Uh, on Tuesday, he suggested that he wants all of this to be over by Easter, which is <laughs> April 12th. David, uh, very quickly, your response to the uh, to the man-child president. Well, this is, I mean, this is an incredibly dangerous uh, road that we're heading down. And not just because uh, it would unnecessarily kill millions of people, although that's enough, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't solve the problem it purports to solve. I mean, the idea would be what? That, that we somehow accept the loss of of the, this, this large mass of people and save the economy in the process, I, I don't think the latter would happen. Right. If, if hospitals are completely overwhelmed with millions of, of, of people dying, the, the economy is not going to be humming smoothly in parallel. Yeah. It just does not, not seem clear that, that that's what would happen. Uh, first of all, states also uh, give these orders, these shelter-in-place orders, not right. the federal government. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see Andrew Cuomo saying, oh, Trump told me to reopen Wall Street, <laughs> so I'm going to. I, he's just not going to do that. And I think, I think what, you know, the lizard brain of Trump is trying to get to as an endgame here is to somehow blame the big cities for their work in managing this epidemic, and if he restarts the rest of the country, then he can just blame them for uh, whatever hardships ensue, and if, if outbreak starts to move into red America, mm -hmm. he can summarily blame the blue state uh, uh, governors right. and mayors for the same practice. So uh, this is like a restarting of the politics of resentment, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. now the the coastal elites problem rather than uh, a failure of action on the part of the federal government. Yeah, so, when, I, when I heard him talking about it, I was thinking, well, wh what do you mean you're going to restart things? He hasn't shut anything down. They've got some recommendations, pretty please do this or that, but uh, it's, right, it's but the states. Right, but if he says that, then, then and, and New York and California mm -hmm. and Seattle or whatever don't start up, right. he can say, well, they ignored my order, right. and now it's their fault. 
They're the ones ruining your economy. They're the ones causing people to die. Uh-huh. And so that puts him in that familiar territory right. where, where Trump uh, always, always seems to live. That sounds about right, and I'm sure that's exactly what they've gamed out, because uh, it obviously won't make the pandemic go away. All right, now... Uh, but, but, but here's yeah. the one other thing on that. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea that the entire mass of the workforce will willingly walk to their deaths <laughs> is, is, is not clear to me. I, I think I'm hearing talk of general strikes mm-hmm. or, or wildcat strikes, labor actions, refusals to go to work, to, to work in unsafe environments, you will see labor unrest in this country like you've never seen before if he tries to prematurely spin up the economy. Right. You know, and exactly. And that's why I said, you know, I'm, I'm loath to waste any airtime on it because I think it's sort of the, uh, the media chum of the day and that after this sets in for a few days, people are going to realize how ridiculous it is. Right. Um, but it also would destroy, yeah. it would it would create the depression that he's trying to avoid, right? Because this would extend the pain mm-hmm. right out until there's a vaccine for mm-hmm. 18 months rather than the kinds of things that we're seeing in Korea or South, or South mm-hmm. Korea or China where they, they took very aggressive actions for one to two months and, and, and turned the tide and stabilized things a little bit and now are continuing to be vigilant, but aren't, you know, in, mm-hmm. a, in a situation where they have to shut everything down. And so that is, is the goal of what you want to get to. And April 12th, if we actually shut everything down, could be a time when you could start, you know, turning around and coming out of this. If you look at the timelines for things like Wuhan or even mm-hmm. Italy, that's when things start to crest after t- a couple weeks. But we're not doing that. We're not, we're not shutting everything down. There are these sort of mm-hmm. soft orders in some states and nothing in others. And, and so, you know, uh, it, it's, just a, it's just a terrible timeline. Uh, but it would give him, as you said, someone to blame when that depression kicked in. All right. Now, before we get to, uh, into what Congress is, is likely to pass in their $2 trillion deal if they make it, uh, David, as I said, I've got some really dumb questions that I want to ask you since you're much smarter than me in all of these uh, matters. All right. Okay. Um, over the weekend, I tweeted out what I called Brad's bipartisan stimulus plan. This is it. This is my uh, $2 trillion package. Uh, One, huge corporations will be allowed to continue to receive the huge tax breaks that they were already given by Trump and the Republicans back in 2017 for as long as, two, individuals receive the same amount each year in a new ongoing emergency cash payout package. Even, Stephen, end of plan. Now, I realize that's very general. It's not the 1,400-page proposal that Democrats put out last night. But is there anything wrong in general with that plan? It seems like the corporations already got their trillion-dollar stimulus plan two years in advance in 2017, now give the same thing directly to the people and keep both of them going until the uh, government handouts, if you will, can then be safely ended both of those uh, handouts. Well, obviously, the timing is is the big issue there. So, you know, when are people going to get this relief? April 1st Mm -hmm. is now a week and a day away. Mm -hmm. The rent is due. The mortgage is due. Various bills are due. 
utilities, what have you, what are they going to do about it? What, you know, you have millions of people that have lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the interim. Well, that's actually uh, my second question, second dumb question that I want to get to in a second. Right. Setting aside that timing, let's say that we could right. uh, somehow work this out or we could somehow get this cash to people quickly so that they could pay their April 1 bills. In general, you know, the, the huge corporations, they got this huge gift two years ago. They've right. blown it all on uh, stock buybacks and executive payouts and everything else. So let them keep that and then give the same amount of money directly to the American people. Right. And that way it's even, and it works out, and it continues until we can stop both of them. Right. Isn't that I mean, uh, brilliant? Uh, you know, it's, rhetorically, it's a good point to make that hasn't been made very much of, with regard to the tax law mm-hmm. and how that money was squandered. I mean, it's, it, you're seeing it in, in pieces, like you hear about, you know, the airlines want to bail out. Well, mm-hmm. the airlines over the last 10 years spent 96% of their cash flow on stock buybacks, mm-hmm. which is just leaking out this money that they've received in profits yeah. out to their investors. So right. you hear it in discrete forms, but you don't hear sort of widely like, you know, this was a $2 trillion giveaway, this mm-hmm. tax law, and so there's your $2 trillion bailout. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't know legally if you can bind future Congresses to say that we're not going to repeal those tax uh, those, those tax cuts. Mm-hmm. But in the interim, I mean, you can you can definitely say, look, we've 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 done the bailout for the corporations. We just did it in advance on right. the prepay plan. Yeah, and now we're going to do the bailout for the people. One thing we have to think about is the the sums involved here. So you know, Goldman Sachs, and if Goldman Sachs knows anything, they know money. Mm-hmm says that in the second quarter of this year, the economy GDP is going to shrink by 24%, mm-hmm. which is double of what we've ever seen in this country ever before. Mm. 24% of GDP, GDP runs uh, at about $20 trillion. Mm-hmm. A 24% drop is more close to a $5 trillion drop. Right. And so th- it's not balanced. You know, we, we did we did two trillion over ten years mm-hmm. in the tax cut, but the hole that we're about to find ourselves in, and you know, God willing, we don't, but the hole that we positive we need to prepare for, is much larger, and the thinking in Washington needs to reflect that. Now, you know, in a, in better fashion than what we saw in two thousand eight, uh, there is a, a desire to meet the problem. At, at the commensurate level. I mean, we were, we were you know, piddling around the edges uh, with the stimulus package, making sure it wasn't over a trillion dollars because Congress would choke and, and eventually getting it down to $700 billion. Right now, you know, Nancy Pelosi put out a bill that was $2.5 trillion. I think what the Senate bill is going to end up at is probably closer to $2 trillion. I mean, that's, that's remarkable mm-hmm. that... that government that Mm -hmm. has been so preoccupied with deficits rhetorically at least and 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 the need for fiscal responsibility and all that has completely thrown that away in this moment well uh, Uh, i worry about the next moment you know two years down the road when they say okay well now now we've 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 blown it we can't do anything else right 
and and we gotta we gotta start instituting austerity. As well, that's possible. you know that's one of the reasons why I'm saying uh, you know give pretty much nothing to the corporations, give it all to the people instead, let them spend it. That might lower, or rather, uh, lessen yeah. the decrease in the GDP that you're talking about and that you're, people are worried about, because people would actually have money now to buy things again. That would help the corporations. Anyway, no one listens to me. Uh, I've got another. I uh, got some other dumb questions. And I know you got to get out of here shortly, so sure. let me fly through a few of these. Uh, well, the other dumb question was about the, you know, the possibility of uh, when you say what's going to happen April one. Well, is it possible? And I have no idea if it is. Is it possible for Congress to pass a law essentially that would simply put a moratorium on all rent? and all mortgage payments for the duration of the crisis. In other words, nobody right. pays rent or, morg or mortgage or collects rent or mortgage during that time, and then at the end of the crisis, we just pick up where things were. So if you had a 30-year so, mortgage, it's now a 30-year-plus six-month mortgage or whatever right. the length of the crisis is. So this was in the Pelosi bill that she put out yesterday. Mm -hmm. It was a moratorium on evictions. Mm -hmm. It was six months, what they call forbearance. What you just said is actually called forbearance of mortgage payments. In okay. other words, we just forbear those for okay. six months and right. push them to the back end. And also a suspension of all consumer loan payments was in that bill. Hmm. So the answer is yes, you could do that. You're essentially stopping financial time. So right. you know, because of this epidemic... We have stopped economic time. We've put everybody inside. We have stopped them from going out to sporting events or entertainment or restaurants or anything like that. But financial time, which is your bills, was still going. So economic time stopped, financial time moving forward. The idea would be to stop financial time yeah. so that everybody uh, – I heard an even crazier idea that – uh, you know, today is March 24th, and it will continue to be March 24th until this crisis is <laughs> Well, kind of, yeah, that's exactly what I, I mean. Is there, any, is there any reason, is there anything I'm missing, uh, a reason well, we mean, could not do that? To that transaction, right? Yeah. So you have to think about, is it, you know, all the, the landlords and real estate owners and, and banks and things, and what would that mean for them? And the truth is, is that a lot of them owe things, too, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, everybody sort of gets it on the back end and the front end mm -hmm. in that situation. And, uh, you know, it well, might if, work if, out and it might not, but, but you know, you can deliver relief where it needs to go if uh, you're going to go in that direction. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, if my landlord uh, owns, you know, who I pay rent to, if he still owes money on, on a mortgage for this building... He would uh, get that yeah, relief. he wouldn't have to pay off as well. Right. So that was in a Pelosi's bill. We don't know if it'll be in the final bill. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that it will be. I mean, Pelosi's, it was kind of interesting. So, you know, McConnell had kind of this hissy fit uh, where he put up this giant slush fund mm -hmm. in addition to some other things, and Democrats wouldn't vote for it. Pelosi jumped in and said, okay, well, here's our bill. That apparently was only used to restart negotiations on McConnell's bill where there are a few concessions, but I don't think anything at the level of what I was just talking about with regard to evictions. Now, um, there are certain cities, including Los Angeles, mm -hmm. that has put a moratorium on evictions. Several cities around the country have done uh, that kind of thing, and I think the pressure at the local level will grow mm -hmm. uh, to keep, uh, keep that at bay, especially when you're talking about housing. 
I mean, this is a time when everyone's supposed to stay at home. Right. The idea that you would evict someone from their right. home and put them on the street at this moment yeah. is, is uh, it would be astonishing. Well, that puts a moratorium on uh, evictions, but as soon as they lift that moratorium or as soon as they declare the emergency over, people are still not going to have money th- uh, you know, to pay what uh, brought them to this case where they, they were being evicted anyway. So... And uh, it'll be much worse. Uh, all right, let me uh, fly through a few more here. Uh, you mentioned that you know Republicans seem to be throwing everything out the window when it comes to deficit spending and everything else right now, as they do in these crises. One other thing they're throwing out, even uh, Donald Trump is saying that he believes the federal government should take an equity stake in any major corporations that it helps to bail out. So, A... Is that a good idea? And B, isn't that taking over the means of production, literally the very definition of socialism that Republicans pretend to hate and were chomping at the bit for Bernie uh, to become the nominee so they could decry him as, as uh, and Democrats as, you know, dreaded, evil, capitalism-hating socialists? Well, it's a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were buying a car and you paid $5,000 to buy that car, would you want the person you're buying it from to say, well, I still own the car. You can drive it around when you want, Mm -hmm. but you don't get any equity in that car. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's still my car, and I can do what I want with it. You, of course, would not (laughs) agree to such a transaction, Mm -hmm. and neither should the United States. Uh, Equity stake is absolutely vital. Uh, The reason that shareholders invest in companies in, they are implicitly taking on the risk of whether that company would go under. Mm-hmm. And what an equity stake would do would be to dilute the shares among the shareholders and give the government participation if the company turns around and, and, and goes back up and uh, the United States and mm-hmm. all its taxpayers get the upside of that. Did, did we so, do that in the 2008 uh, bailout? We did some equity but uh it was you know we we sold out as quickly as possible and we didn't really take a a meaningful stake there certainly wasn't any kind of uh, voting shares that were determined Mm -hmm. and we didn't take any dividends we didn't give those you know give that money to the, the the public i mean another way that you could do this is you take these equity stakes and then you create what uh is called a social wealth fund and all, all dividend income or, or capital gain income that comes from that goes out in a check to, to people across the, the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what Alaska does. You know, they have a mm-hmm. fund that's, that uh, they, you know, was initially backed by oil money, but now it's right. a bundle of investments. And money made off those investments goes to the people of Alaska in a check every year. Right. And so you could do that with the United States with this equity that you get from all of these bailed out companies. I can I can only imagine how many of the uh, Republicans up in Alaska are decrying socialism as they're cashing their monthly uh, checks that they get from the government. You covered the uh, 2008 mortgage crisis and uh, the financial meltdown very closely. You wrote a book about it. In fact, how does what we are looking at right now compared uh, to what at, at the time seemed one of the worst global financial crisis the world had ever faced in modern times? Well, it's worse. I mean, it's worse in the moment. Whether it will be worse in an ongoing sense depends on the interventions we take Mm -hmm. uh, from a public health standpoint to uh, make sure that this is as as short 
possible, uh, whether there are scientific breakthroughs to uh, either you know, slow down the, the effects of this through treatment uh, or get us to a vaccine. It, it, this is all about beating this virus. There, there's very little you can do until that happens in terms of restarting the economy. You have to beat the virus. And in order to do that, we need to make sure we have the surge capacity at the hospitals. We need to uh, use the techniques that places like South Korea have used, mm-hmm. rampant testing, tracing people's you know, movements back and forth to make sure that they're not only isolated, but the people that they came in contact with from contracting the disease are isolated. And uh, rapid testing, uh, those kinds of things, that's what's going to beat this crisis. Are, if, if we're on the current trajectory, uh, we're, we're facing something worse than 2008. If we somehow turn it around and, and, and get into the mode of a South Korea uh, it, it can be mitigated. Do you have any confidence that uh, Democrats will actually uh, hold tough this time for a, a plan that isn't terrible? I'm not sure. I mean, uh, we're, what we're seeing is that this the, the, the McConnell bill is kind of the base of what's being used as the you know beginnings of, of this, and it still has a slush fund. I mean, you know, the slush fund is now has oversight on it, but you know, that and a dime will get you a cup of coffee. Um, the, the, what we're still dealing with is, is $500 billion, and, and that's probably an undercount because that could put, be put as equity into a Federal Reserve facility and turned into $5 trillion, uh, you know, with 10 to 1 leverage. Mm. So this is, this is an enormous amount of money. What we saw yeah. in, the, in the bailouts in 2008 was that, the, the real money came from the Federal Reserve. That's what rescued the banks and the financial system. The TARP bailout was sort of to get Congress on the hook for it. Mm-hmm. And I fear that we're heading down a similar road where we're, we're creating this facility that puts Congress on the hook for bailing out corporate America and, and who knows what entities of corporate America that would be up the, at the discretion of, of Steve Mnuchin and, and the Fed does the real heavy lifting of, 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 of turning that congressional authority into action. And uh, that would be a, a, a huge uh, waste, uh, missed opportunity, tragic uh, uh, scenario. Well, when that uh, tragic scenario comes to pass, as I suspect it might, uh, David Dan, uh, we'll call you back so you can explain just how tragic it actually is. I know I got to let you go. There was uh, two stories that I just want to point folks towards, uh, including one today at uh, the Prospect which you can find at prospect.org, but I will link to it when we post the show tonight, called Mind the Trust Gap. And it's sort of, it's it's a really smart piece, David, following uh, just why it is that it's so difficult to get these uh, masks that are so needed to all of the hospitals around the country and how that has to do with, as I read it, uh, sort of the great con brought on by Ronald Reagan that government you know, isn't the solution, government is the problem, and that has helped to crash confidence in uh, among the, the, the people in, in government, and that has led directly to this mask shortage. So I'm going to point folks there. I also uh, did not get a chance to point it out last week, 
Uh, but David has a great piece out on the uh, disaster a couple of weeks ago here in Los Angeles on March 3rd on Super Tuesday called An Iowa-Style Voting Disaster in Los Angeles. I am liberally quoted throughout that article. Thank you for uh, your help on that. Uh, well, I was going to say, as one of the few folks who had been yelling and screaming and warning about this for uh, a, a decade or so, this $300 million touchscreen debacle, I'm quoted, but it's still a very good article anyway, <laughs> uh, and uh, pretty much the best I've seen, I think, on, on that meltdown, which was only three weeks ago, but ballots are R- not even remember counted. Remember when the biggest problem that we had in, yeah. in America was long lines? Election. Yeah, I know. It, it's like it's like a generation ago. It exactly. wasn't even three weeks ago. Um, and also, uh, you can sign up. I think uh, folks can sign up for your fantastic uh, daily newsletter on COVID nineteen somewhere, David. Yes, absolutely. You just just go to prospect.org and uh, you'll be directed on on where to go. And we're also doing a donor match right now. We have uh, some some very nice donors that uh, will match. Every donation uh, up to, I believe, $17,000. And uh, so that would be at prospect.org slash donate or prospect.org slash subscribe if you want to subscribe to the magazine. Thank you, sir. You can also find David Dayen on the Twitters at ddayen. He is the executive editor of The American Prospect. Thank you, David. We'll talk soon. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, a uh, quick break, and we're back with uh, Green News Report in a second here. But as I was speaking with David, uh, Fox News tweets out uh, that we are on the road to recovery, Desi Doyen. Oh, boy. Uh, that Trump says, quote, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, the White House is now pitching a six six trillion dollar coronavirus stimulus package ahead of uh, the expected Senate vote, should that ever come about. I fear the light at the end of the tunnel might be a freight train heading for us, but, you know. Indeed, I fear that as well. Quick break. We're back with Desi Doyen in the Green News Report right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As the world has stopped in uh, many ways, arguably, and uh, actually to good effect in one sense, as we discuss in our latest Green News report. This brief period of clean air should be a wake-up call. Coronavirus effect. Shutdowns cause dramatic improvements in air quality around the world. In northern Kenya, the next generation of locusts has already been born. Locust swarm in eastern Africa spreads to more countries. U.S. Midwest forecast to see major flooding this spring. Plus, Cal Fire says the most destructive and deadliest fire in California's history was caused by PG&E. California's largest utility company pleads guilty to 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter. All of that guilt and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The coronavirus is still on everyone's minds, so don't forget to wash your minds. Oh, (laughs) believe me, I'm trying. Sadly, Fox News has hoarded all of the supplies from the National Strategic Brainwashing Reserve. 
This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I cannot underscore enough how the coronavirus is a terrible story in every respect. Yep. That said, what do you got for us today? Well, we've been reporting on the remarkable clearing of the air, literally, in China and Italy after widespread shutdowns were implemented to control the spread of the coronavirus. Now the same effect is happening in America as well. New satellite data this week shows that levels of air pollution and toxic smog have plummeted over major metropolitan areas shut down for the coronavirus, including Los Angeles, Seattle, New York, Chicago, and Atlanta. Traffic jams have have all but vanished as well. Of course, air pollution is expected to rebound once the coronavirus outbreak subsides. Oh, yeah. And economic and industrial activity ramp up again. But this is a real-life demonstration of how the transition to clean energy and electric vehicles will have immediate benefits in reducing air pollution. Yeah, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Yep. At least one city is making lemonade out of coronavirus lemons. Philadelphia has banned cars from a major traffic artery to give residents plenty of room to bike and walk while keeping their social distance from each other during the pandemic. Climate scientist Glenn Peters of the Center for International Climate and Environmental Research says he's been getting lots of questions every day from folks wondering what the coronavirus means for global CO2 emissions. The latest data on atmospheric CO2 levels recorded at the Mauna Loa Observatory reveal that, yes, CO2 emissions have temporarily stopped rising globally, likely due to the shutdowns of industries around the world. But Peters says it is still too early in the year yet to know if 2020 will be the first year that human-caused CO2 emissions don't see a record rate of increase. Has Donald Trump bragged about how he's brought the CO2 emissions down yet? No, he has not. Give it a day or two. In other news, thanks to listener Dread for bringing this story to our attention, as the coronavirus spreads globally, eastern Africa is also grappling with an ever-expanding plague of locusts, the largest locust swarm in 70 years, brought about by record-heavy rains that triggered the swarm's formation and have also enabled rapid reproduction of multiple generations. Tobias Takavarasha of the United United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization warns that new swarms of locusts are now forming in Kenya, Somalia, and Ethiopia right at the start of the growing season, and that it's a growing threat to food security for millions. It is a big threat. It is a biggest threat. The UN warns that swarms are also now forming in Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and India. Multiple disasters happening simultaneously is one reason that the U.S. Pentagon calls climate change a threat multiplier. Here in the United States, NOAA has forecast that 23 states in the Midwest are likely to see major flooding again this spring, particularly in the Dakotas and Minnesota. With hurricane, tornado, flood and wildfire seasons rapidly approaching, emergency planners are concerned about all states' abilities to respond to both natural disasters and the coronavirus simultaneously, including the additional pressures of evacuations and keeping people in shelters safe. Finally, some accountability news. California electric utility Pacific Gas and Electric has agreed to plead guilty to 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter arising from the tragic campfire in November of 2018 that was triggered by the utility's failure to maintain its equipment. It was the most destructive fire in state history and nearly obliterated the town of Paradise, California. pg and is 
also agreed to pay the maximum fine of $4 million and fund a water reconstruction project. The settlement resolves all state charges related to the deadly fire and paves the way for payments to victims of the deadly inferno. The maximum penalty is just $4 million? That's my understanding. So global plagues, locusts, floods, fires... Uh, We ought to just rename this the Disaster Report. Yep, we're waiting for the Four Horsemen. For much more on all of these plagues and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters, if you dare, at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Tell me. Well, that's a cheery way to end the broadcast, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you know. (laughs) That's what we got. Thank you very much, our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to my guest today, the American Prospects, David Dayen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who help keep us on your public airwaves during this incredibly difficult time by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Yes, I read them all. Try to respond to as many as I can. And you can find, follow, and uh, share or uh, tell me I'm all wet and wrong about everything as much as you like on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. And tell me. Yeah.